listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. The book of Ezra, chapter 9 Yes, you did catch a niner in there. Thank you for sitting up front. Look at these guys. Why to, why to, why to do that? All right, Ezra chapter 9. The book of Ezra can be found after First and Second Samuel, after First and Second Kings, and after First and Second Chronicles. It goes Ezra, Nehemiah, and then the book of Esther. So it's in there. Find it. And uh, we're going to start, we're actually going to jump around just a little bit. And it would be awesome if, uh, you, when you read the book of Ezra, you read all these passages that I'm going to read in context. Because the context is important. But uh, let's look at Ezra chapter 9, verse 8. And today's, the main message of today is about a remnant. I'm going to talk about that word, what that means. It's a very Old Testament, very important word for the entire Bible. Uh, Ezra chapter 9, verse 8. It says, but now for a brief moment, the Lord our God has been gracious in leaving us a remnant and giving us a firm place in his sanctuary. And so our God gives light to our eyes and a little relief to our bondage. Here Ezra is talking about the the group of people that were taken into captivity away from Israel. And yet he talks about uh, a remnant, a remnant of people that have been left. And that's a good thing. Verse 9 says, though we are slaves, and they really were literal slaves, our God has not deserted us in our bondage. He has shown us kindness in the sight of the kings of Persia. He has granted us a new life to rebuild the house of our God and to repair its ruins. He has given us a wall of protection in Judah and Jerusalem. And then skip down to verse 13. It says, verse 13 says, What has happened to us is a result of our evil, our own evil, our own evil deeds and our great guilt. Yet our God, you have punished us less than our sins have deserved. And you have given us a remnant like this. Everybody say remnant. And then look at verse 15. This is the last verse for today as we open. Our Lord, God of Israel, you are righteous. We are left this day as a remnant. Here we are before you and our guilt, though because of it, not one of us can stand in your presence. And so Ezra is talking about how God spared Israel through a remnant. Their own sins made it so that, you know, God should have just wiped all of them out. Yet he he remained, uh, he gave them a remainder, a remnant of people that were to carry on the, the plan of God. So let's pray this morning. God, we do worship you right now on this Resurrection Sunday. God, we give you our hearts. God, we ask that we might become a remnant, that we might be the ones that remain faithful to you, that we might be the ones that carry out your plan on this earth despite everything, you know, the crowd going one way. God, that you might call us to be different from the crowd. You might call us to yourself to be holy and to be chosen. And God, we are honored to be a spiritual remnant today. And we love you and we praise you. And all of Sunday school screamed. Oh, man. You know what you're supposed to say on Easter if someone says, He is risen. Did you, you already knew that? Christ has risen. Indeed. Uh, it's, that saying comes, it's a very ancient saying coming from the early church. It was in Greek. Uh, it's Christos Aneste. And then the response is, Alethos Aneste. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And I remember in seminary, I went to seminary. I took a Greek, a New Testament Greek class. I had this crazy old professor, a really good professor. He would end every class with us screaming, 
uh, he would say, Christos Aneste. And we'd say, and we'd say, Alithos Aneste. And he'd say, not good enough. Scream it. And he'd go and back and forth. We'd just be literally screaming at the top of our lungs in Greek. He is risen indeed. And it's a, it's a, it's a early church greeting with one of the Christians. And, uh, nowadays, of course, we say it a lot on Easter because this is the day that we celebrate that he is risen. And, uh, in Greek, it's Christos Aneste, Alithos Aneste. And, uh, the, the Greek orthodox church which is very prevalent in russia uh still uses that saying today and uh i want to tell you just a quick story about the in in the height of communism you know in the 60s and 70s as russia uh was being taken over by the communist propaganda and how at the height of the cold war um communism made it so that being a christian was illegal and yet in Russia, there was a huge remnant of people. Remnant are those that remained faithful to God and, and, and had to kind of hide their faith and, uh, despite it being illegal in communist Russia. And the story is, is that on an Easter Sunday morning, a sunrise service, instead of having a, a Easter sunrise service celebrating the resurrection of our Lord, in Russia, at a certain city, there was a communist rally at sunrise on Easter morning. And so all these people had come not to celebrate Jesus, but to celebrate the ideals of communism. And they had teachings from Lenin and, and Karl Marx. And, and uh, the, the communist rally went on and on. And yet there was this remnant in the crowd, people that knew that the reason why they were there was to celebrate Easter, but they weren't celebrating Easter. It was kind of a hidden agenda of the communist regime to, you know, to have this propaganda about communism on, on what was Easter Sunday. And the story is that 10,000 or more people were there and the communist rally went on. At the end of the rally, it was tradition that, you know, the crowd, some people from the crowd would come up and, you know, talk about communism and the, and the crowd would start cheering and, and loving it. And uh, that particular day, no one came forward. And because there was a warning, you must speak the truth of communism or there'll be uh, punishment. And so there was guards up there with guns and, and everybody was a little on edge because it was Easter Sunday and yet it was communism was being taught and the anti-religion was being taught. But one teenage boy uh, came forward and, and got to the mic and he was warned once again, speak the truth and meaning speak the communist truth or else there'd be consequences. And the, the young boy screamed out, Christos Aneste. And the story is, is that as shots rang out because he was killed right there as an example, the crowd, the remnant of the 10,000 that were still believers screamed back, Alethos Aneste. He is risen indeed. And so on this Sunday morning, on this Easter, on his resurrection Sunday morning, uh, we are continuing on with our Old Testament talk. But it's a talk that does lead up to uh, being a remnant and being a remnant in Jesus Christ. And the importance of the resurrection, of course, is, is you be, should be able to hear that today in today's message. But we are talking about the Old Testament. We're in a series right now where we're covering the entire Old Testament in the month of April. If you were here last time, we talked about the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We just covered that in like 45 minutes. No big deal. Today, we're going to cover the whole history of the Israelite nation in, uh, we have like 45 minutes left. No big deal. That's how we roll in Sunday school. And so, uh, uh, so that's what we're going to do. First, some announcements. Uh, today is Resurrection Sunday, as you can tell by my three-piece suit. Pretty sweet, huh? If you're, if, you're, if you're listening by podcast, you know that I don't brag about myself very much, but I do look good today. 
<laughs> and so because it is Resurrection Sunday, there are Easter services, Resurrection Day services at 8, which you just missed. Did any of you go to the 8 a.m.? Yes. Wow. I'm impressed. That was early. Really early. It was like snowing out. Still is. Uh, and, then, and then there's 10 o'clock services, which starts in like one minute. So if I see you leave, you might be going to that service. That's perfectly okay. But then I'm sure the majority of you will be going to the 12 o'clock service. And so right after Sunday school, we're going to make sure that there's a little bit more food out and some coffee. And so you'll have about a half hour or a little bit more before you're able to go into the service and find a seat for the resurrection service. And so all I ask is that you leave Sunday school today slowly and meet some people. Sound like a good deal? All right, well, so that's one announcement. The other announcement is uh, there are, we still have these, which I, I was just going to highlight. This is the, the Bible reading plan that the mill did. Uh, we just printed these out. All it is is every book of the Bible and then the chapters, and there's a checkbox next to every chapter of the entire Bible. And so um, I've been, Erica and I have been reading through Psalms. We've been, uh, we're in Psalm 114 right now. And uh, so we've been plugging away. And if, if you take up the challenge of reading the entire Bible, this is a pretty cool tool to do so because you can kind of pick uh, if you want to read the New Testament first or where you want to start and end. And uh, hopefully, you know, uh, this this month's Sunday School topic, as we go through the entire Old Testament, give a a huge overview of all the books. Uh, Hopefully, as you read 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, and you read these books, they'll come into alignment with like, oh, I know this story. It's part of a bigger story of the whole Old Testament. It makes sense now. I mean, that, when I first, the first time I ever read through the entire Bible was years after I'd become a Christian. I'd probably been a Christian like five or six years. And I decided I want to read through the whole Bible. And I actually read through an order, Genesis through Revelation. And so many stories began to fit in place. I was like, before I read through, I was like, is Abraham before David or is David? I just didn't know. I think stories didn't line up in my head because I hadn't read the context of the whole story. And so this is a great tool. Uh, we got these for free. Pick them up back there. Uh, and it's, it's just a Bible reading plan. So, um, yeah. That's one, the final announcement is if you're new today, if this is your first time to Sunday school and you wouldn't mind giving us your information, uh, putting, we could put you on an email list. We won't bug you too much. Uh, you could give us this card, which should be on your tables at the back table, and we will give you a CD, a welcome CD for coming today. And so um, those are your announcements. Are you ready to dig into the Old Testament? Yes, me too. All right. Uh, I am talking about the remnant, or this this idea of a remnant. Today we're talking about um, here all twelve books of the Old Testament: Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second King, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. No big deal. That's what we do in Sunday school. We take on too much, but I mean we're, we're able to accomplish it because God is good, right? All right, so the, the bigger idea today of all these books, all these 12 books, this huge portion of the Old Testament, is this idea of a remnant. And a remnant literally means, from Old English, to, from Old English, to remain. And it's this implication that those who remain faithful to God, remnant is literally to, to remain. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the, the, if you're, you're a remnant, if you don't, if you, if you follow the crowd and, you know, follow the crowd into evil, then you would not be considered a part of the remnant. But if you 
are, you know, the ones that remain faithful to God, you're, you would be part of the remnant, this Old Testament idea uh, of survivors, this Old Testament idea of, of what's left, the remaining. And in some contexts, it's not really a good thing. Like a remnant is like kind of like the leftovers, you know, like if you're eating a big lunch, like I had lunch at the Loop Mexican restaurant in Manitou yesterday, and I'm like, oh, this burrito's so good. My belly's hanging out. I'm like, oh, this burrito's delicious. And uh, and if you don't finish all your food, then there's like half a burrito sitting there, and the guacamole is mixed in with the sour cream. And the waitress or waiter comes over and says, "Would you like me to box that up for you?" And you're always you're always like, "No, I'm too full. I'll never eat again." Oh gosh, it's so good. Just take it away. Throw it out. It's worthless. It's just leftovers. It's just a remnant. But then, late in the afternoon, you're like, "Man, I'm starting to get hungry again." She had that burrito. <laughs> but at the time, like this, there's this, this idea that the remnant is no good, that the leftovers are no good, but God thinks they are. But God is concerned with those that have been left behind. God is concerned with those that maybe, maybe aren't the rich and the famous. Maybe they're the leftover. Maybe they're the, the, the remaining people. God has a special place for those people that are considered the remnant. And the remnant theme, I, lo- I just did some research online. The theme, not the word, but the theme of the remnant, remnant is found 540 times in the Bible. Places where God destroys a group of people, but remain, there's, there's a remnant. There's like the story of the flood, perfect example. God destroys the whole earth, yet there's a remnant with Noah, this small group of people on an ark that God then you know carries out his plan with those people. Um, and I remember going to having dinner with my youth pastor way back in the day. And uh, it was me and the youth pastor and his wife and his three kids. And uh, there was a, he had a little girl. She was probably like four years old or so. And she had this big pile of peas that she had to eat. She's like going through these peas and eating them. And it's brutal for her because little girls don't like peas. And uh, she, got, she ate almost all of them. And there was just a few left. And then she said something. And I'm sure her dad had said this because... Little kids just, you know, say things that their parents say sometimes. And so there's like a few peas left. And she said, I'm going to leave these peas because these peas are a remnant. And a remnant is biblical, daddy. (laughs) (laughs) And dad's like, all right, yeah, you don't have to eat those peas. And uh, what she was doing was horrible hermeneutics. She was using a context to... To get her own way and using scripture, but she was only four, so she can be forgiven. But the the theme of the remnant is is important in the Bible. You know, so much of our culture, and, and you know, we are just fascinated. I myself, I'm fascinated by people that are really, really rich, people that are really, really famous, people that are really, really cool. You know, if you, you're following someone on Twitter and they're really rich and famous and cool, you're like when they Twitter and you look at their updates, you're like, man, he's going to lunch. Dude, that's awesome. <laughs> like, man, Brady Boyd just woke up and he Twittered it. That's awesome. He's so cool. And then, like, if you have other friends that aren't rich and famous and cool, uh, they Twitter you. And it's just like, man, why won't this guy shut up? He's, just, he's, he's driving now. Who cares? He's, he's in the parking lot now. Who cares? He's found a parking spot. Who cares? And all these Facebook updates. And, like, who cares about this guy? He's a nobody. God cares about the nobody. God cares about the the unimportant. God is reading your Twitter and Facebook updates no matter who you are. <laughs> uh, God is really concerned. You know the, the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks, the Beatitudes are, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who uh, are, are poor. Blessed are those who... You know, there's, there's this idea that those that are poor and weak and meek have a special place with God. And, and so the, the idea of a remnant 
Even though there's some negative connotations about like the remnant is just those that are left over. God is concerned about those that are left over, the unimportant, the seemingly unimportant. Um, I was reading a, a couple years ago, I was really just in this stage where I was fascinated about reading business books. And I read a bunch of business books like The Millionaire Mindset. And I read uh, uh, The Millionaire Next Door and like all these millionaire books. I was just, you know, getting ready to make my millions. <laughs> and uh, and in, the, in this reading about millionaires and how millionaires were made, there's some really cool stories about just innovative people. And during the Great Depression, there was this guy, I can't remember which book it was in. I was trying to find it, but there, I remember the story at least. And the story is that this guy in the Great Depression lost his job. He goes to a lumber yard where they saw big trees into two by fours to be sold to Home, home Depots. <laughs> it's funny because there's no Home Depots back then. I don't know when Home Depot was invented, but that was supposed to be a joke. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, so he goes to the labor, the labor, the lumber yard, and he says, I will sweep your lumber yard of sawdust if I could keep the sawdust. And the guy, the factory guy's like, what's wrong with you, man? Yeah, just sweep it up. You know, we were going to pay somebody to sweep it, but since you're sweeping it for free, go ahead. You want the sawdust? All right, whatever. It's sawdust. It's trash. And so he sweeps the remains, the, the, the remnants of all this wood, of the sawdust, and then he brings the sawdust to uh, a packing plant. And this, I guess, is before the days of packing peanuts um, and those little popping, you know, those little popping things when you're packing and you get the, you know, so much fun. I guess it was before that. And so they packed with sawdust and like crates. And so sawdust was needed for packing plants. And so this guy would bring the sawdust to the packing plant and, and, and obviously, you wouldn't pay very much for trash, for sawdust, but it was something. Here this guy was sweeping and, and getting sawdust and then selling it. He was getting something from nothing. He was making some money out of nothingness and, and saving those remnants and then selling them. And then he made a little bit of money, and then he started hiring more people to sweep more lumber yards and then sell the sawdust to other packing plants. And he started a business and became a millionaire because he saw the value of remnants. He saw the value of scraps. And I, I was looking, Googling online about... Um, kind of like remnants and scraps. And I found this book called The World's Scavengers. And it's a whole book just dedicated to people that have made something from nothing, finding scraps or like getting into the scrap metal industry and business. And he quotes that in the early 1900s, the enterprising Jewish immigrants from Eastern Europe are credited with founding the scrap recycling industry in the United States of America. So these, these immigrants would come over, these Jewish immigrants from Eastern Europe, come over. They would be very poor, very poor immigrants. They wouldn't have anything to do. And yet they so ingrained inside of them because of the Old Testament was this idea of the remnant. You see that? And because they're Jewish, because they knew their Old Testament, the idea of the remnant, they said, well, there's remnants. You know, if someone cuts a bunch of metal to make something else, there's remnants. There's scraps of that metal. Let's take those scraps and make something useful out of it. Let's make money out of it. And so there's a lot of money to be made in scraps because what people throw away can be another person's treasure. That's the idea of the remnant. Are you ready to, to look at Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second King, First and Second Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther? Hmm. All right, let's do it. In your notes is a very small area. In your notes is the history of Israel. And you might, if you're taking notes, that area will be very, very small for you because I, I'm going to cover all of those 12 books in about 10 minutes or so. And, uh, and so it's a very huge overview of those books uh, to get this idea. The bigger idea today is, is, of course, this idea of the remnant. And last time we left off in the book of Deuteronomy, 
with the death of Moses. And was Moses allowed to enter into the promised land? No, he wasn't. God said uh, he he wasn't allowed to enter the promised land. He's going to raise up someone else. He's going to raise up an apprentice named Joshua, which is the next book of the Bible. Joshua, uh, it's always a funny joke, at least funny in, you know, my eyes, that a trivia question is, who didn't have a dad? It was Joshua, because he was the son of Nun, N-U-N. <laughs> jokes like that, just, you know, make my day. That's what I do. So wake up and find jokes like that. <coughs> so Joshua, an apprentice of Moses, enters into the promised land, brings, so the people in the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, had come to a point when they were wandering in the desert, potentially millions, hundreds of thousands of people wandering in the desert, not yet into the promised land. Joshua leads them uh, over, uh, through the Jordan River, into the promised land, and their stories of the people conquering that land because God gave them the land flowing with milk and honey, honey, uh, whatever that means. It sounds delicious, though. Uh, good land. It's a you know, figure of speech. God gave them this good land, and God said, you must go into that land. You must conquer this land. And God said, you must drive out the people that are already there because those people that are already in the land have displeased me. They're, those people are pagans, and they're doing human sacrifices, and they're evil, and they've turned their backs to me. And I want you, my people, to go into that land. And so God uh, allowed allows Joshua and all the people to go into the promised land and there's battles. There's the battles like Jericho where they, there's this huge wall around the city and they just walk around it seven times blowing uh, shofars, which is the horn of the ram. And, and then the walls fall down. The Israelites go in. They take over the city of Jericho. There's, the book of Joshua is filled with wars of the people of Israel, God's people, taking over the land. And then after the book of Joshua comes the book of Judges where... These rulers, uh, the rulers of Israel were supposed to be the priests. And so it's the story, it's just not quite right how, how the, the judges came to power. But they do. They come to power. And it's kind of like the aristocracy, arist, aristocracy of the Israelite people are these leaders, the judges. And there's, there's judges. There's a whole bunch of them, uh, including Samson was a judge. Deborah was a judge. Gideon was a judge. Samuel was a judge. Uh, actually, the last judge in the book of Judges uh, starts right off with, uh, ends with Samuel, beginning with First uh, Samuel, is uh, these, these stories of more conquering in Israel and uh, judges, these leaders over Israel. And then there's this random short story. It's just an awesome story. I know a lot of girls who consider the book of Ruth to be one of their favorite books of the Bible because it's about a woman who is kind of an outcast. She's not a Jew, uh, but she's living amongst Jews. She's a Moabite, but she, she has loyalties to this Jewish family, and this Jewish family takes her in, and she is uh, given a husband, and actually she becomes in the line. Her baby's baby baby becomes David, King David, whose baby is King Solomon, whose baby's baby 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 is Jesus. And so this woman, Ruth, this short story about short story about Ruth is just so cool. And it's right in that time of the judges in 1 Samuel. Uh, but First and Second Samuel are two of my favorite books in all of the Old Testament because some of the best stories are found in these two books. The book of Samuel starts off with uh, the Israelites wanting a king. And Saul is chosen as a king. And Saul is at first a cool dude and he's righteous and he becomes king of Israel. But then he becomes a bad dude. He becomes unrighteous. There's the story of David and Goliath, which is in, found in the book of 1 Samuel. And the people start chanting, Saul has killed his thousands, but David 
has killed his tens of thousands. And if you're Saul, that makes you really mad and you want to throw a spear at David. And Saul becomes unrighteous. Saul becomes very jealous of David because the people are liking David more. And Saul starts making huge, drastic mistakes and being unrighteous. And so God unelects Saul and David becomes king. And then we have the stories of David and his battles. We have the story of David and Bathsheba. And David, at the end of Second Samuel, has a son named Solomon. And Solomon is the king of Israel by inheritance. The, the books of First and Second Kings are the next ber- books in that line. First and Second Kings are uh, just, uh, they're, they're books that, that are fun to read because of the stories in between, but they're hard books to understand because of, there's so many characters in the books of First and Second Samuel. Uh, there's so many kings and there's so many different characters doing different things. It's hard to follow. And so the overview, the gist of First and Second Kings is that Solomon becomes king. Solomon uh, is, the, is the king accredited with building the, the temple. So the temple is built in Jerusalem under King Solomon. Solomon has a son. Anybody know his name? Yeah, Rehoboam is the last king of the unified Israel. And Israel... Uh, right after, actually during Rehoboam's reign, um, things start to go bad. The kings start to become unrighteous, and the kingdom of Israel splits between the north and the south. Judah and Benjamin are the tribes in the south, and all the other tribes of the north. There's like a civil war. Bad times, right? Are you following me thus far? Is this just too much information, or can you handle it? Because you're Mill Sunday School. You can handle it, because you're Mill Sunday School. I know the answer. Just wanted to make sure. So there's a bunch of bad kings. So the kingdom is split. Is that the way it's supposed to be? No, it's not the way it's supposed to be. The kingdom is split. There's a bunch of bad kings. The good kings are few and far between. There's people, uh, because of their unrighteousness, the people follow pagan gods. Because of their unrighteousness, it actually says at one point that the book of the, the Pentateuch, the Torah, is just lost. I mean, how can you lose a book that's considered so holy? The book is lost. Uh, the, the law is lost. The, the people begin to worship pagan gods and doing sacrifices to pagan gods. And the people turn to unrighteousness. And there's a lot of unrighteous kings. And yet there's a remnant. And there's a remnant with the two prophets, uh, Elijah and then Elisha. This remnant of people that remaining holy, remaining faithful to God, despite everybody in, in the kingdom of Israel going haywire and worshiping pagan gods and turning to unrighteousness. And so because of the unrighteousness, the northern kingdom, you can read about this in the book of Second Kings, chapter 17-ish, is where the, the country of Assyria, I guess the, the nation of Assyria, comes down and overtakes the northern kingdom of Israel. They lay waste, they, they burn cities, they kill families, they separate people, they, they kill babies, they do horrible things. They come in and then they take captive um, people as slaves, Israelites as slaves, and bring them back up to Assyria. And that's a really, obviously a really bad time um, in that nation's history, is, is being totally laid waste and taken into slavery but there's second kings i'm just going to read this passage real quick second kings 19 uh verse 30 if you want to turn there i'm just going to read these two verses second kings 19 starting in verse 30 it talks about the remnant and so here we are just kind of hopefully following a little bit the northern kingdom has been taken away and the, the southern kingdom of judah jerusalem benjamin is still remaining and here's what it says uh second kings verse 19 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 30 says, Once more, a remnant, 
A remnant, that's the idea again. Once more, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. So here's this idea again. Every people have gone, become unrighteous, and God destroys the northern kingdom, but there will be a remnant. There will be some leftovers that God really cares about with whom God will make his people out of those people that have been considered leftovers and, and because of their righteousness, the, the righteousness of the remnant. And then the southern kingdom falls. You could read about it in Second Kings 24. Uh, the Babylonians come in and they take over Judah and Jerusalem and they waste, lay waste to the temple. The temple is destroyed. Can you imagine this great symbol of where God himself lives is destroyed. The city is burned. Captives are taken back to Babylon and as slaves. And we enter into a time called the exile. And you may, be, may have heard about the, the prophets of the exile are Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Jeremiah. We'll talk about the prophets later this month. We'll, we'll have a whole Sunday where we talk about the prophets. But those are where those prophets fall in. They fall into the time period of being the exiled people, the people that their homes have been taken away from them. Prophets Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Jeremiah. And here's what Isaiah says. Um, Isaiah in one, chapter 1, verse 9, says, says something about Sodom and Gomorrah. You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? It's the city, that, the two cities that were burnt to the ground. God, God sent fire down and burnt up the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And those, that story is found in Genesis, the book of Genesis 18 and 19, where God just totally, to the ground, burnt these two cities from fire from heaven. And Isaiah, in chapter 1, verse 9, says this. Listen to it. It says, Except the Lord of hosts, except that the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, and that's the remnant of people, we should have been like Sodom. We should have been like Gomorrah. And so this story... The story of Sodom and Gomorrah, if you, if you look at Genesis 18 and 19, is the story of these angels appearing to Abraham. And they're up on a, somewhere where they can, over, they can overlook and see the two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Imagine two whole cities. And, and God, through these angels, says, I'm going to destroy these two cities because of their unrighteousness. And Abraham is like, man, you're going to destroy those cities? Can I ask a quick question? Is basically my interpretation of this this dialogue that goes back and forth. Abraham says, can I be so bold as to ask a question here? I know you're God and you're going to destroy those cities, but can I just ask, if there was 50 righteous people, would you just still destroy those two whole cities? And God says, no, I wouldn't destroy it if there was 50 righteous people. And Abraham says, Man, can I ask another question? I know you're God. I know you're going to destroy those cities, but can I just ask you something? What if there was 40 people left in that city, a remnant of righteous people? Would you destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? And God says, no, I, w- I wouldn't destroy it if there was 40 people. And Abraham says, uh, another quick question. <laughs> what if there was 30? And God says, nope, I, I would not destroy it. And then he asked another time, what if there was just 20? I mean, imagine two full cities. What if there was just 20 people uh, that were righteous? Would you still destroy those cities? And God said, no. And, and then it gets down to 10. What if there was just 10? And Abraham, by this time, is questioning and asking God and feeling bad about, you know, may I be so bold as to ask you another question? What if there was just 10? And God says, no. Even if there was just 10 people, 10, in these two whole cities, God would not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And kind of in the context is this idea that maybe if there was even just one, God would not have destroyed these two cities for just the sake of a remnant, a small group of people. And so going back to Isaiah, this, this exile prophet in the time where 
uh, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom have been destroyed and laid waste. Isaiah says, except if the Lord, the Lord just left us a very small remnant, a very small remainder of righteous people. If because of that righteous little group of people, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah, except there was a small group of people remaining righteous. Don't you want to be a part of that small group of righteous people? And so this idea is just throughout scripture of how the righteous, how just maybe even a few righteous can save a whole city. And God looks with so much favor on a remnant, the people that remain faithful to him. And so after the books of First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, it goes into the books of First and Second Chronicles, which are confusing to some people because the books of First and Second Chronicles retell the story of First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings with a lot more numbers, with a lot more uh, details, but it's condensed, and so they're they're basically books that just retell those stories. And so those are the books of First and Second Chronicles, and then we have Ezra, Nehemiah, and Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Those three books are about the people that are during the exile, but they are part of the remnant that that gets to come back to Israel after it's been laid waste. Ezra gets to come back. He he, uh, petitions the king to come back to Israel. And then with Nehemiah, later on, Nehemiah comes back, and then they rebuild the temple because of the small remnant that was left in uh, the small remnant of people remaining righteous to God. And they were able to come back and to rebuild Israel, Israel and the temple. And if you look at these stories, I just went over a huge portion of the Old Testament very briefly. There's obviously a whole bunch more because it composes like this much of the Bible. It's a pretty huge chunk. Um, we just went over it in like 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> obviously a very huge overview. But from that overview, you can tell that, that the story that we just talked about isn't really like a nice happy fairy tale story, is it? And we just talked about people coming, you know, Israel wanting a king and God kind of being like, I'm supposed to be your king. But they get a king anyways. And then the kings become unrighteous. The people become unrighteous. Other nations come in and just kill as many people as they can. Take into captivity those that remain and burn whole cities to the ground. Is that a nice, happy fairy tale story? No, it's really not. It's more like uh, instead of Cinderella, it'd be more like maybe Schindler's List which is also you know, a story about a Jewish people, a, r- a remnant of Jewish people you know, during the Nazi regime that you know, tried to, Nazis tried to exterminate the Jews, and yet there was still a remnant. I just find it fascinating that um, God always continues his, his, this idea of the remnant into his people. And today, as Christians, we're part of that remnant. Look at, I'm going to prove it to you. Look at either at your Bibles at uh, Romans 11.5 or the back of the skillet. We always throw in a sweet quote. And the sweet quote of today is a, is a scripture verse, Romans 11.5, which talks about how we are a part of the remnant because of grace, because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And as he died and as, as he rose again, and we celebrate that today, that we can be a part of this remnant, the people that remain, the people that are maybe considered leftovers from an old promise, but we're still God's people. We're the ones that have remained. And Romans 11:5 says, Even so, at this present time, there is also a remnant according to the election of grace. And so we are a part of the remnant. Is that good news? Yes. Yeah, I think that's really good news. And Romans chapter 11 is this really cool, um, almost like a botany chapter. You know what botany is, right? The study of 
plants. I hear it out there. I, I studied uh, biology for my undergraduate degree, so I got to take whole semester-long courses in botany. And what's so cool about um, botany is this idea, I mean, there's a lot of things that are cool about it because it's God's creation, but one of the really cool things is this idea of grafting, grafting plants and trees together. Do you ever wonder how we get uh, a seedless orange you're like, oh, sweet, we got a seedless orange. Let's make some more of these. Let's plant the seeds that are in the seedless orange. Oh, wait a minute. There's no seeds. How are we going to make some more of these? Because people are loving them. <laughs> um, well, what they do is they graft branches. It's so cool. I've done this with, uh, I used to do this out in my backyard just for fun. And it works because I was into biology and stuff like that. I don't do it anymore. Psst, silly people. Um, but you could take a branch and cut it like in a V, so the branch, the end of the branch, like this is the leaf part. This part, it has like a V to it, a V shape. And then you cut another tree with a V notch, and you slide that plant into the V notch and kind of tape it up, and it just starts growing. That's, that's amazing. I mean, think about like, like if you cut off an arm and then stuck somebody else's arm in there. It's like, it doesn't work that way. But plant, I mean, it just, it's pretty cool how that works. And so that's how they get seedless oranges. And uh, this chapter 11 in the book of Romans is about a spiritual grafting. And grafting isn't new. I mean, we think of the seedless orange, but I mean, that's pretty new. I don't think they had, did they have seedless oranges when we were kids? I don't think they did. I had to spit them out. I remember spitting them at the, my, my brother. Um, but the, the idea of grafting goes, it's an ancient process. People knew about it a long time ago. And in Romans chapter 11, it's about a spiritual grafting. How Israel was this huge tree and and because of their unrighteousness, God cut off branches of unrighteous people because they broke the covenant with him. And in its place, we as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, have been grafted in to that tree that God created. God never destroyed the tree, but God cut off branches that were unrighteous. And he put us in as a remnant as a part of this whole story. That's why we love the Old Testament, even though Jesus has come and has changed a lot of the Old Testament laws like we talked about last time. But we are a part of the same tree. We are a part of the same story because we as believers, as Christians, have been grafted in in this process that, you know, you just stick another branch in, you tape it, and, and the energy and the, the, you know, the nutrients comes from the ground into this new branch that's been just put in and it's an amazing process. And we, spiritually, have been grafted in. And uh, there is uh, this idea of, of being a remnant. And in, in your notes, I have uh, a remnant heart. And uh, there's two principles that I quickly want to go over. The first is being made into a remnant. And the second is you're chosen to be a remnant. And the first one about being made a remnant is this idea that to be a remnant, you have to remain. You have to remain faithful to God. And I remember the first time, as a Christian, I remember the first time really thinking about this verse that I found. And it really, really saddened me. It's Matthew seven thirteen, And you, you may have heard this verse before. But I'm, I had probably heard this verse before. But I remember after becoming a Christian, really thinking about this verse. And it really, really saddened me. But it's, it's uh, Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. It says, enter through the narrow gate. Have you heard this verse before? Think about it and its implications. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. 
I remember as a Christian realizing for the first time, like, whoa, there's a lot of people that don't choose God. That, you know, a lot of people are on this, this highway, are on this huge, broad road that leads to destruction. Most people are on that road. And I remember a very sobering thought that most people don't find God or find God and then reject him in their life. And most people go to hell. And I remember as a Christian, as a, as a new Christian being like, man, that is, that's horrible. That's so sad. And, and concentrating on this verse that, that was so wide is the, the road that leads to destruction. And so many are on it. But small is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. And I just, I think about this idea of, of how hard sometimes it is to choose righteousness. How hard it maybe it is to be the person in a group, whether it be, you know, a, whatever, a party scene or a bunch of people making fun of something or a bunch of people doing something that you know is wrong, but to be the one person that remains righteous in that group of people going in an in a unrighteous direction. But you may be the person that saves like, like the idea of the remnant. And if there would have been a remnant in Sodom and Gomorrah, that two cities wouldn't have been destroyed. But there wasn't a remnant in those cities. And, and so if you are the one that's righteous, being made righteous, the one that will remain with the righteousness of God, maybe you will save a group. Maybe you will save a group of your friends leading to destruction if you choose what is righteous. There's this verse, another verse that I, I found early on in my Christian walk, kind of about this principle of, of choosing righteousness. And it, a pastor preached a whole sermon on, uh, it's Proverbs fifteen 16. I'm just going to read that one verse, but if you want to turn there, you can. It's Proverbs fifteen sixteen, And it says, better a little, better a little bit. So better a little than, with fear of the Lord. So better a little bit with fear of the Lord than great wealth in turmoil. When you're making decisions and um, better is a little bit with, with fear of the Lord, choosing what is righteous, than getting a whole bunch of stuff, than, than finding a whole bunch of wealth and with great turmoil. And I remember it was, uh, I heard this sermon and then uh, my birthday rolled around. My birthday is August 29th. If you, any of you want to give me gifts, I like $100 bills. <laughs> I always like to joke about that. They say, what's your love language? I say, large sums of money. <laughs> No, it's not. But I really did. On my birthday, I got this $100 bill, and I thought it was so cool. I was, like, showing it to people. I'd show people and say, you ever seen one of these? <laughs> it's just so funny to me. They're like, yeah, it's a $100 bill. It's like, it was a big deal to me. Especially, like, I think I was, like, 17 or so, and uh, I had this $100 bill for my birthday. And it was finally time for me to spend the $100 bill, and I, had to, I just had to buy gas. I didn't have other uh, bills on me. So it was a $100 bill. I, I bought, like, $30 worth of gas for my car. Um, and I went in to pay the, the, the store clerk. I gave him a hundred dollar bill and he was like, wow, sweet, a hundred dollar bill. I was like, yeah, that's the kind of reaction I want. It's a hundred dollar bill. And he was like, sweet. And so he so he gives me change from the hundred dollar bill. I put up my pocket and I go home. And uh, later that night I, I pulled out of my pocket and I realized that the clerk had given me the wrong amount of change. Uh, not only like a little bit wrong, but very wrong. He had given me uh, to, to a bunch of twenties. He had counted up. I don't know how he got confused in his mind, but he gave me all $100 back, plus he gave me the $30 in gas. So I had $130 in my pocket after buying gas. And I was like, wait, that isn't right. And I realized that the clerk must have given me the wrong change. And I had a decision to make. At first I was like, sweet, I got my $100 bill back. 
like, man, this is awesome. And, uh, and then I thought, man, that, that money really isn't my money, though. That money belongs to the gas station, and I didn't steal it. It was the mistake of the clerk, and I could have just said, ah, oh, it's his mistake. You know, you know, I get the cash, $100, his mistake, my win, his loss. But then I thought, that's, that's not the right thing to do. And then I thought, like, man, what if, I, what if there's cameras at the gas station, and what if, like, some cops come to my house? And, and then, like, in my head, like, this turmoil, turmoil going on in my head, like, man, what if I got caught? And here I am, like, just listening to this sermon about... Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. And I thought, here's an opportunity to, to apply this verse. And so I got back into my car. I drove all the way to the gas station. I pull out of my pocket all this cash. And I, I show the clerk, like, you gave me way too much cash. And he's like, oh, man, dude. And I was like, yeah, dude, you, you gave me wrong cash. And then he said something that I thought was hilarious. He said, man, I did something like that last week, and the boss almost fired me. <laughs> it's like, here's this guy just giving wrong change out. It's like, your job is to make change. That's what you do. Uh, anyways, I didn't say that. But, but, but he went on and on about how nice it was. I mean, like, man, no one would ever come back. and do, I wouldn't have come back, but you came back. And he said, I, you probably just saved me my job, because if I made wrong change again, I bet my boss would have fired me because the till, the register wouldn't have had the right amount of money. It would have had, what, 30 and 30. It would have had 60 bucks minus in his till for an evening. And uh, he, he probably would have gotten fired because he had done it before, the week before. But, and then I left that gas station. I was just like, man, that feels good to be righteous. If it is, that verse is true. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth and turmoil. And, and this idea of choosing to go against the crowd, choosing to be the one that remains, choosing to be the remnant is how we will be made into a remnant. We will be God's chosen here on earth. We will be the remnant that while unrighteous people have been cut off of the tree, we will be grafted in as righteous ones, as the remnant. And so we can make ourselves into a remnant. And then this other idea, the, the last thing I want to get to today is we are being chosen we are chosen by God to be the remnant. And it's this, old, this idea of the, the leftovers, this idea of the remnant, the negative connotation of the remnant is just, you know, like what's left in your cereal bowl after you eat cereal, the soggy, milk, crusty nastiness just left over. Seemingly, you know, no one cares about that. You throw it out, you know, you throw it in the trash. It's the remnant. It's the stuff that's left over. There's no use to that. But God cares about those of us that maybe feel like we don't, you know, that feel like we're not the popular ones, not, we're not the famous ones, we're not the rich ones. God has a special place for us that, that have overcome, that have in situations when everyone's doing something great and you're like, oh man, there's, but there's unrighteousness there. I can't, I can't join in with that unrighteousness. I'm going to be the one that's a remnant. I'm going to be the one that, that's over here and remains righteous. I'm going to be one that is an overcomer. I'm going to be the one that overcomes despite, you know, maybe bad things happening to us. You know, throughout, you know, we just read that, you know, the stories in the Bible are not fairy tales. There are um, legitimate people that are righteous and really bad stuff happens to them. You know, our Savior Jesus, he was perfect. I mean, literally, I mean, how much better can you get than perfect? He was perfect. And yet what happened to our God on the cross and his death and the suffering and so as we choose righteousness, sometimes we think, man, God's just going to award me and, and greatness is going to come. And, you know, you're going to bring your money back to the gas station clerk and say, man, you made a mistake. 
Oh, let me give this money back. And he's going to say, oh, man, it was my mistake. Just keep it. <laughs> no, he, I want it back. <laughs> and and there's, there's suffering sometimes for choosing what is right, whether it's emotional suffering or the loss of friends or whatever it might be. There's, you know, choosing what is righteous may not have huge rewards at the time. It may have negative rewards. It may, you may fall into the category of being a leftover, being a remnant in the negative context of, Man, you know, you're thrown out with the trash, you know, emotionally or whatever in in that context is what that means. And so I have, uh, it seems like I read this once a year and uh, I think it's really cool. Some of you probably think it's cheese ball, but I like cheese balls. (laughs) It's uh, it's the poem of uh, of the footprints. Have you seen this? Have Have you, many of you have probably seen it. Your moms and your grandmas have it in the bathroom. And you're like, what is that? It's that picture of the beach and the, the poem. But maybe not, maybe some of you haven't heard it before. And uh, yeah, I read it this morning. I woke up early this morning. Uh, I, I usually set my alarm early and get up and, and make preparations for Sunday school and pray. But this morning I woke up even earlier than my alarm went off. And I was reading this. And I, I just I, it just brought me to tears. This idea that, that God does care about his remnant. About the people that are considered leftovers. Because the world says, oh, they're just, you know, they're the righteous ones. They're doing what's right. They're following after their God and not doing, not following the crowd. But God has a special place for those that are left over on account of his name. And the poem is this. Uh, One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene he noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times in his life. And that really bothered him. And he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the way. But now I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand when I needed you. I don't understand. When I needed you the most, why would you leave me? And the Lord replied, My precious, precious child, I love you. I would never leave you. During the times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for for all your provisions to us. And God, we declare in our hearts right now that we will remain that we will be a remnant. We will be righteous before you, whether there's rewards on this earth or not. When it's easy or when it's hard, God, we want to be your remnant. We want to be the people that, that, that make the whole group holy because we are in the group. God, we want to be the people that you spare a group. You spare uh, Israelites from total destruction because of a small group of people that remained faithful to you. And God, we want to be considered that group that's faithful to you. That our story is the story of the Old Testament because the unrighteous were were grafted off, were cut off of the tree of life. But Father, we are honored that we have been grafted back in because of the work of your Son. And God, this Resurrection Sunday morning, we worship you and praise you because you are risen and you love us, and you've given us the right to become your remnant. So God, we, we praise you, we worship you, we love you. Amen.